Aloha, welcome to Talk Story, a podcast for the pilots of Hawaiian Airlines. I'm your host, First Officer Sean Lee. You've heard it time and time again, pre-flight your jump seat. It's all fun and games until you are the one left behind in the terminal only to watch your commute home back slowly away from the gate. This year, the Hawaiian Airlines MEC are hosting the Jump Seat Council right here in Honolulu. Over the course of the next week, the council will tackle key issues surrounding the jump seat, including protecting the PAC authority over the jump seat. Joining us today for a discussion about jump seating is incoming jump seat council chair, Captain AJ Berlotti. We have Aviation Jump Seat Chairman, Captain Rich Ogbert. We have uh, Hawaiian Airlines MEC Jump Seat Chairman, Captain Matthew Beesis. Aloha, guys. How you doing? Good. Thanks for having us. Good. Welcome. Good. Sure, Rich. We got plenty of uh, uh, pilots commuting to and from every point uh, in the U.S. and every point around the world. Um, tell me how integral jump seating is to the profession as pilots. Well, we, we track the numbers of both CAS, KCM, and additionally, we also keep the numbers of how many pilots actually commute in the system. And it, it usually bounces around about 70% of airline pilots commute. And there's roughly about 7,000 CAS pings per day. Um, within that, there's less than 2% of uh, errors, but unfortunately, there's uh, about 2% of fraudulent CAS requests as well every day yep. in your system. So there's people trying to get on the airplane that aren't supposed to be there. The numbers are pretty extraordinary. Um, here at Hawaiian, I think uh, the number of commuters is going up um, as we diversify the pilot group more and more. We've been working hard to bring us in line with what are the procedures and processes and the expectations that we have jump seating on other carriers. We'd like to award the same uh, treatment towards the pilots that jump seat on our carriers and to our own pilots. Rich, you were you were pretty integral in um allowing jump seating uh, in a post 9-11 world. Tell me about jump seating before 9-11. Let's start there. Before 9-11 and then uh, what it took to get the the right to jump seat back. Yeah, you know, prior to 9-11, um, uh, it was a kind of a wide open playing field, right? I mean, you could just, uh, first of all, airline IDs were basically printed off of a photocopier when you got hired. And then, uh, you know, depending on how robust the carrier was, that was the quality of lamination you got on your ID. Uh, there was nothing there. So people could move through the system with a handshake and a paper form. Uh, a couple effective security questions uh, could identify if that person belonged in the flight deck or not. And uh, it was pretty easy going. Uh, it was just kind of show up and ask. 9-11 happens, and as far as I know, the jump seating stops. Stopped cold completely, especially offline access. And I was fortunate enough to be actually the first uh, the first uh, reiteration of uh, where we are now with KCM was crew pass. And it was only by happenstance that I was asked to sub for our then security chairman that was actually on the board that formed that. So I was able to have a seat at the table with all the industry stakeholders in the beginning with crew pass. And we uh, had everybody there from the newly created TSA to airline management, IT programmers. And we had to digitize the process of employment verification. We completely self-police ourselves on CAS. I always say, and AGL back me up, you know, we're, we're, one, we're one mess up away from losing the system. It would take, no, nobody cares if a pilot jump seats or not. Nobody cares if you get on the airplane for free. But as we've already discussed with the amount of commuters, the industry absolutely must uh, maintain a way for pilots to travel around. And remember too, prior to 9-11, you went from one jump seater on board to, in some cases, no jump seaters on board, even online. Uh, they wouldn't let pilots use their own jump seat. Uh, eventually, to as many seats were as available with a flowback. Matt, uh, you must field phone calls all the time with 
somebody fume that the gate agents or the captain or someone's not letting them on the plane? How, what's the best way to, to, for us to resolve these issues? I'll just start with uh, no matter what happens, um, we are professionals and uh, we should maintain that professionalism. Um, sometimes it's easy to think that uh, we're getting on the airplane is our right. It's a privilege. And um, <clears throat> sometimes things just happen, um, especially with agents. There's a lot of turnover and uh, they just don't know the processes and the procedures. I think sometimes knowing when to give up is also a good time because um, we don't want to bring um, animosity towards the group. Sometimes just go to the gate next door, file a report with your jump seat chair, and these problems will be resolved in time. Um, it's unfortunate that people get left behind. It happens. But every report is taken seriously. Yeah, one thing I'd like to add to that is, is no matter how minor that you think the infraction is, um, if you get denied a jump seat, that you have to let your jump seat people know. Because the only things that we can take to management is if we have enough data to take to them saying that, what we have going on here is an issue. So, you know, some people, somebody might get left behind. They're thinking, okay, it's not that big of a deal. There's another flight in 30 minutes. I'll just go catch that. But that 30 minutes, that flight turns into five flights, turns into 10 flights. It snowballs. Obviously, probably, you know, this, it, you're not the only one that's having that issue. Other pilots are having that issue too. So, you know, I would like to say that no matter how minor the issue, you have to let your jump seat committee know. Yeah. I, I can use an, an example. Mm -hmm. when, when I came into the position, I kept getting reports of pilots being denied jump seating. Um, it was OA pilots being denied jump seat on Hawaiian aircraft at international destinations. Mm -hmm. And fortunately, the pilots that got denied filed reports, and I spotted the trend, finally went to investigate, and found out that because of one small change in procedures at a corporate level, um, every pilot trying to get on a Hawaiian aircraft at any of our uh, international destinations was being denied travel and the long story short is for months we were denying people at international destinations it took a couple of meetings with management they understood the procedure was changed and people started writing again but had i not received the reports we would have never known you can't do anything that uh, you don't know about exactly you can't do it if you don't have the data hey jay once you're on the plane uh you're considered an extra crew member yep. uh, tell me how important it is to have the extra set of eyes and ears on the flight deck and, and your role as a jump seater, even if you're just commuting to work, what is what role do you play? Well, it's invaluable. I mean, if you're sitting up in the uh, flight deck, you know, you could consider yourself as an extra low set um, uh, member. You can, if you're familiar with the aircraft, you can make sure that uh, procedures that guys didn't miss stuff. I mean, it does happen. Um, even something as minor as when you're listening on the radio, maybe there's a missed radio call riding around in the cockpit with somebody that uh, maybe have gone into uh, an airport they're unfamiliar with. I, I would say that, that uh, the majority of jump seat assistance uh, is with cabin issues. Do we have data on, on the numbers of... We do. Yeah. We keep track of that. Again, it's only as good as the reports. It's everything from uh, troubleshooting, something in the back. I mean, I can remember one specifically where the floor was getting soft and these jump seaters to figure out why the floor was getting soft under the center of the aircraft. And of course it was an overheat condition that was impending um, to uh, just like AJ said, uh, helping the flight crew assist. I mean, there's been jump seaters on multiple accidents and incidents that have happened uh, over the years. In some cases uh, it hasn't worked out well. Um, 
you know, prior to prior to Cass, uh, the Kentucky accident with the CL-65 or with the RJ-50, rather, the jump seater was denied the flight deck at that time and unfortunately perished in the back of the airplane. I used that argument to uh, approach the FAA and the TSA to get us back into the back into the cockpit. If you remember when Cass first started, it was only available when there was no other seat available on the aircraft that you could be in a flight deck. And I used that incident to say, listen, this individual probably could have leaned forward and said, hey, guys, uh, you're on the wrong runway. That's complete speculation. And I'd never armchair quarterback that from any, any angle. But the potential was there that that, that that homegrown set of eyes and ears may have said, hey, this is the 3,000-foot runway. Uh, Matt, on, on Hawaiian, I mean, you've been in my jump seat a bunch. I, I'm sure uh, I'll be in your jump seat soon. Um, we all know each other. And so tell me, it's important to, to have uh, that extra set of eyes and ears uh, when it's available. I think uh, being a small airline it has a, a lot of advantages, and, but also there's some disadvantages. We never know when anybody in the industry uh, wants to bring a threat onto the aircraft. Uh, insider threat still remains the number one threat to aircraft in the industry. We are unable to screen for intent. We have to always have our guard up. Well, it's easy to be complacent, you know, nine and a half out of 10 times, everything works perfect. That's right. Let's touch on that a little bit because it's real easy, especially here to, you see someone, a handshake and a wave and off they go and they could be a threat for all you know. It's easy to be lax when you're familiar. Well, we have some things in play right now from the, from the, the over, uh, the overlook of the ASO, right? The air safety organization, which is my role there as one of the four chairmen. We're, we're working on legislation to enhance IRCDs throughout the entire uh, American fleet or the entire domestic fleet. Um, I should say the global fleet of U.S. airlines. Uh, we're also looking at putting a little more power. If, if you, you might not have caught it, we, ALPA had a lot of wins in the, uh, in the bill last year that included the oxygen mask. We also memorialized PIC authority as law in that bill. Now, how far that's going to reach, we haven't yet determined, but there's a big difference between a regulation and a law, right? It does challenge the PIC to put them back in their place where they should be as the, I like to call it the, the pit, you know, the peach pit. That's the last layer of security before that aircraft pushes. So you got to stay on your guard. Um, we're constantly uh, dealing with regulators and legislatures and uh, legislators in D.C. for enhancing the protections of the regulations and trying to legalize what we can. I want to ask you guys as the experts, uh, what's one thing that a pilot should know of jump seating? I think uh, it is an incredible privilege, a gift to be able to ride on each other's aircraft. I think if I could express this to every pilot that I come across um, as, as, as this feeling of, of awe that only in the United States can we do this. It, you flew uh, in Italy, and so it, there's nothing like this. In Europe. It, yeah, n nowhere else in the world can you just get on someone else's aircraft. And even on your own, in your own company, there's no such thing as purely jump seating. Interesting note, just to put a tail on that, uh, we do have an IFALPA initiative right now from the ASO uh, with an international, uh, international uh, flight deck access working group. So some of those foreign carriers have reached out to the U.S. carriers for some help in that regard, and we're working on that. So it could become a reality in the future. Right. Other countries do not uh, enjoy the amount of privilege and responsibility that a uh, United States uh, pilot in command has. Uh, which that is it uh, for me as far as you wrap up. Uh, number one, you've got to remember no matter what the FOM says, no matter what the cast check says, no matter what 
the gate agent says the pilot in command retains authority over that jump seat by by default with the regulation. I like to say the company's 33% of it, the FAA is 33% of it, the captain is 34% of it. So no matter what your individual policy is or what your priority is uh, with all the code chairs and fee for departures and all that, you've got to see the captain. The captain has got to know you're on board as an additional safety and security asset, period. Um, if we lose that, we will lose jump seat eventually. Hey, Jay, your advice to pilots trying to make it home on the jump seat? Well, I would just say that... W- there's a lot of moving parts uh, in trying to jump seat. And, you know, most of the time it works well. Every so often it doesn't. Uh, you know, just remember, like what Matt said earlier, it's uh, be professional. It is um, it is a privilege. Uh, it's a privilege, not a right to uh, be able to ride. The only time that we ever get reports is when something bad happens. We do a lot of work, not only within, uh, within the uh, ALPA, but also with um, the jump seat reps from the other airlines, uh, APA, IPA, SWAPA. We all work together. If I have, you know, one of my pilots trying to, you know, jump seat on Southwest and Southwest is, you know, not obliging, I get a phone call. I can turn around and call the the swapper rep and we can, you know, if we're lucky, we can get that, you know, fixed in a couple of minutes and get that person on the airplane. Before we go, um, I just want to, uh, on behalf of uh, President Joe DePete and Captain Bob Fox, First VP, and myself, I want to I want to thank uh, MEC Chairman Larry Payne and the rest of the Hal MEC for graciously hosting the council out here. It's uh, We get the opportunity to do this from different carriers and sometimes even offline or uh, non-union carriers or other union carriers. And, uh, you know, it's great to be out at another Alpa shop. It's great. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for hosting. In closing, if I can say thank you to every pilot at the pilot group that has been keeping the jump seat safe, heartfelt thank you. Thank you to everybody that's been sending reports in, making our jump seat better. We're working hard for you. Things don't happen as fast as we'd want and like, but we're working. We want to make it better, and we appreciate all the information that comes through. And on behalf of myself also and the, and the crew, thank you to the MEC. This is a huge opportunity, and it's the first national ALPA event being hosted at Hawaiian Airlines. Well, good, uh, good luck. Uh, I wish you a productive uh, jump seat council in just a few hours, and uh, all the best. Thanks for coming in, guys. All right. Thanks, thanks for having thanks us. Thanks a lot. If you want more information about jump seating, look up jumpseatinfo.org and be on the lookout for Alpha's jump seat app, which will be produced in the next few months and it will have everything you need for your commute home. Talk Story is a production of the Hawaiian Airlines Master Executive Council and is produced here in Honolulu. Drop us a line at howcommunications at alpa.org and we'll see you next time.